Well, welcome to our series on looking at uh, the seven messages to the churches found in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Uh, over the seven weeks of this series, we're going to be focusing on each of those uh, individual messages to a church because each of those messages brings out an aspect that is so important for us to actually hear today about our church, about how we as Christians behave and what are the what were some of the issues and problems that was being brought to light through Revelation to those announcements, to those prophecies, to those churches found in Asia Minor? We know that um, as, as members of a church, as people who are um, in a church, we know when, when the Bible talks about the church, a message to a church, it's not to a building. It's not necessarily to um, the organisation, it's to individuals within that. But we know as a church, churches are made up of individuals, so it's to us together. So when we are talking about this, it's about individuals, but it's also about everybody together. Um, and this, you know, as we come into looking at what this passage says to, to the church at um, Pergurnum, we realise we've already had three, two messages beforehand. This is our third message in the series. We've had the message to the church at Ephesus and to the message of the church at Smyrna. And each of those messages start with Christ talking to the church. It's a message from Jesus Christ. Um, but they also have an encouragement, but they also have, at times, apart from two, they have a concern for the church, and that's what we need to pay attention as individuals, but as a church, as a denomination, we need to pay attention to what the Bible is telling us from history to us today. So we're going to be looking at the church and the message to the church at Pergunum. Now, just to, so that we can kind of get a little bit of a, a depth of understanding about this, uh, we need to actually understand a little bit of the history of the church. And so that's what we've been doing each time. We've had a look at a little bit of the history of the church, at, at what the social situation was like, what, where, where the church was located, what kind of um, issues that the people within the church were facing. And so we need to kind of understand that so we can put it in its context but we can also understand the pressures that people were living under so that we can understand when we have pressure ourselves that it will, you know, we, we may fall into the same traps that these people in the churches are being mentioned for. So Pagunum was a really um, cultured and opulent city. It had, it had magnificent residences, wonderful temples all over the place. And a matter of fact, it was actually a place of learning. And it was pride, it had a huge amount of pride in the fact that it had lots of intelligent, learned people there. And, that, and the reason being is because they had one of the great libraries. They had a library there. Now, nowadays when we think about learning and we think about libraries, we kind of go, oh, yeah, I've got a library, you know, our local library, or I can jump on the internet and we can get all the information we want. But a library was a place of, lear of learning, a great learning, because you had this repository of information that, that wasn't existing elsewhere. And so you could go into the scrolls and, and read the information and there was this great amount of learning there. Pakurnam was, was 
had a library that you know, rivaled the great library in Alexandria, which is in Egypt. And, and um, Pergurnum's actually where modern-day Turkey is. So just to give you a little bit of historical, um, physical location for us. And it's interesting to note because the, the library at, um, at Pergurnum actually had over 200,000 scrolls in there, but they weren't made of papyrus like in um, the Alexandria, the library in Alexandria in Egypt, which is made from um, uh, plant material. And it's an interesting fact because uh, if you actually understand a little bit of the history of this, um, the, the Egyptian king actually forbade uh, sending papyrus off to um, Pergurnum uh, because they didn't want their library to be better than the one in Alexandria and actually forbade um, the librarians from leaving their cities to go to another place. So Pergurnum actually developed their own uh, kind of paper and it was actually parchment. It was made from animal um, skin, just a little bit of it. And that's, that's the reason it actually has the name Pergurnum. It's the same root word um, for for the, um, from, for the parchment that we have. But it's interesting because not only did they have a great seat of learning, but um, Pergurnum was also really renowned for the fact that it had um, emperor worship. Um, and emperor worship was really important in Pergurnum. And in, in fact, it was actually the first city to have a temple erected for a living emperor. So the first city to have a temple erected for a living emperor. Uh, often it would be, you know, the temple would be erected and the, the emperor had passed away and stuff and you'd worship that. But this was for a living emperor, the emperor god kind of thing. Um, and this was a place where you would go and you worship and it was really important. And, and the reality is that in order to show loyalty to the emperor and to Rome, in this case from Pergurnum, it meant that you would go and provide daily offerings and sacrifices at the temple of the emperor. And it was really important that you did that because that was the loyalty that you needed to show. And if you didn't offer those sacrifices or um, offerings in that temple, then you were being disloyal to Rome and you were to undergo heavy and strict punishment. Pergunum also not only did it have um, at the temple to uh, the emperor, but it had lots of other temples in the area. And a matter of fact, it had four um, really important um, temples. They were large temples and it had a lot of worship going on there. And they, they, were, they were four temples um, to, the, to four of the main uh, Greco-Roman um, pantheon gods that they had there. Uh, such, and one of them was to Zeus. Um, the reality is, if you think about the city, it was full of worship. It was full of worship to the many different kind of temples and places to the emperor. Um, and, and then you've actually got the Christians in there. And, and, and the point of this is there's the Christians who are worshipping the one true and only God in amongst this sea of other worship going on around and, and the requirement that they worship the emperor on a daily basis as tribute. Otherwise, you'd be punished and persecuted. So let's just jump into the Bible. Let's just jump into Revelation chapter 2, um, and we're going to be reading from uh, verse 12 through to 17. That's the section of the message to Pergunum. 
Um, and if you've got a Bible, I want you to get it out and have a look at it and, and follow along with me and just um, have a look at it as I break down this passage for us today. Um, and we're also going to put it up on the screen for us as well. So the first verse, and, and we'll just focus on the first verse to start with. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergunum. This is the message from the one with a sharp two-edged sword. Uh, and here we, we just need to start. So the thing about Revelation is it's apocryphal writing. It's, it's actually um, got language that has um, codes and symbols in it. And we kind of need to understand that for us to actually understand what the passage is trying to tell us. And, as, you know, at the beginning I said that um, each of the messages to the church has a different introduction of who Jesus is. There's a message from Jesus to the church. And here we have a message from the one with the sharp two-edged jaws. This is, the, this is the description of Jesus, but it's interesting. The sharp two-edged sword, while it's a description of who Jesus is, he's holding it, it is actually the word of God. The sharp two-edged sword is the word of God. And if we go to Hebrews um, chapter 4, verse um, 12 to 13, it has this, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is, it is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. See, here's the description of Jesus giving the message to the church of Bergenum with the word of God that exposes, that splits apart us and exposes the truth about us, of who we are. It exposes our innermost thoughts, our innermost desires. Our outward lives are exposed. Our inward lives are exposed by the word of God. And that is what Jesus is wielding in this situation. Our words, our actions, our outward behaviour needs to align with our inward ideals and understandings. We can't be separated and split apart. We are one and the same. <clears throat> so let's just jump into the next uh, section of Revelation 2, uh, verse 13. And here we have actually a commendation of the Church of Gurnum. You know, whenever um, in each of the seven churches, there's always a part of it that says that the church has done well in the situation where they find themselves. And especially more so, how important is that when a message of correction is also being given? Now, here is what the church is doing well. And it says this, I know that you live in a city where Satan has his throne. So you know that description they had of all of those temples and everything around? This is what's going on. You know, here is the, you know, Satan has got his seat here. And yet you remain loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful servant, was martyred amongst you there in Satan's city. So the first thing is a commendation for, for the church there for holding fast to Jesus. And it's interesting that that word for remaining loyal to me, if you, if you delve into the Greek into it, you'll, you'll actually understand it's, it's actually seizing the name of Jesus, holding on to it fastly and not letting go. So they wouldn't let go of, of 
the name of Jesus for anything. And it was just really important to them. They held firmly to the truth. The second thing is this, as we look into this passage, is the church was commended because they didn't renounce their faith, in, even in the face of persecution, even in the face of martyrdom and death, they didn't renounce the faith. Now, we don't know much about Antipas, but, um, but, but tradition has that he was actually martyred by being roasted alive. This is horrible stuff. By being roasted alive inside a, a bronze statue of, a, of an ox. And that was in front of... Um, one of the temples, and everybody and those who were doing the persecution stood around and cheered as this poor person was roasted alive. It's horrible to think of that kind of level of persecution because you're holding firm to your faith. But it's important that we actually understand that we shouldn't let our faith slip and slide in the face of persecution. And, and Jesus is commending this church, these people, for not let going of that faith, even in the face of persecution. So persecution was just not a possibility for them. It was a reality of their everyday life that they lived in that city. But see, here's the thing. Here's the interesting thing. The Romans actually gave them a way out of that persecution, a way to alleviate that persecution for themselves. All they had to do, they could still worship Jesus, they, they, didn't, they didn't actually mind that they were worshipping Jesus. They could still do that. All they had to do was go and worship at the temple of, of the emperor. Just provide those daily offerings. All you had to do was go and do that. You don't have to renounce your faith in Jesus Christ. You just have to go and do this other part. You know, just go and offer, you know, sacrifice and yourself and, and your offering at the temple to the Roman emperor. And this is where the complaint comes against the church. The complaint is about tolerating the other, about compromising themselves. And we're going to read now what the complaint is. And it comes from verse, uh, verse 14 onwards. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some amongst you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have Nicolaitans who amongst, among you follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin or will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. There's that two-edged sword coming out again. So we have a couple of references here. One to Balaam and Balak, and another one as, as well as the, the Nicolaitans. Um, so let's look at both of those references in, in our understanding of, what, of compromise, because that's the issue at the heart of the church at Pergunum, they were compromising their beliefs and their faith. There's this interesting thing in ethics. It's called the slippery slope. Um, you have an ideal, you have a way of living, but if you do this one little thing, it's okay, you really haven't compromised yourself too much and you step down, but then once you're at the new place, 
you're no longer at the ideal of, of what you wanted to be. You, you're at this slightly different place. And then that allows you to make another step a little bit further away from your ideal place. And then you live in there for a while and you go, okay, and then you slip. And so this whole idea of the slippery slope is that you slowly but progressively move away from the true truth of the matter that you are holding on to and you've slid away. And that's the thing about compromise in this regard. Compromise, let's, let's say, compromise is important in some of the relationships that we have. We need to learn to be able to compromise and hear the other person's stories and understand that. But when we're talking about God, when we're talking about faith in Christ, when we're talking about our understanding of what it means for us to be believing and living out our faith, compromise is not the option that we want to take. And this is what was the issue for the church here at Pergonum. Compromise. So let me tell you a little bit about Balaam and Balak. If you, if you were to actually understand the story of Balaam and Balak, you will actually understand it comes from Numbers, uh, the book of the Bible, Numbers, um, chapter 22 through to 24. But chapter 25, the very beginning of chapter 25, is actually really important to that story as well because it, it indicates a response that comes back. And we know um, Balaam was, a, was meant to have cursed Israel um, at, the, at the request of King Balak. Um, but, um, and, and this is Balaam and the donkey kind of story that we're hearing here. But basically, um, Balaam sees the angel of God and, 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 and actually changes his mind and says, I actually can't curse. And so he actually blesses Israel three times. But there's a Jewish tradition that says that Balaam, after he'd done those blessings then sent a word to Balak to ha on a way to compromise the Israelites because Balaam knew that if he hadn't and he didn't curse Israel, that he was going to be under the wrath of the king Balak. And he didn't want that himself. So the tradition kind of says that he then sent word to the king Balak to actually suggest that he sends the women of Moab to lead the men of Israel into sexual sin. And then this would, what, this would turn them to worship not the God of Israel, but the God of Moab. And then that would bring the, the wrath of God upon the Israelites. Uh, the same tradition also suggests that this is what lies behind the story that is found in Numbers 25. So that's actually really important. Numbers 25, we see the men of Israel falling into sexual sin um, with the women of Moab and going away from worship of the one true God. The temptation was there to run after the things of the flesh rather than the things of God. See, compromise here is about letting, letting go of worshipping the one and only true God. It's, it, this is a compromise that has been fueled by the desire and temptation and when, when we think about it, it's a compromise fueled by desire and temptation. Now, if we start to jump into the, the Nicolaitan, Nicolaitan uh, heresy, so this is the heresy, so it's a false teaching, it was actually a system of thought that borrowed from Greek philosophy that um, separated um, our body and our spirit. 
the, the heresy was that actually a person's spiritual life was not affected at all by our behaviours that we did. So our behaviours didn't affect our spiritual life. Um, and in fact, our body was just a container for the spiritual soul within inside of us. And, and what we did with our body actually didn't affect the spirit within us. So you didn't actually have to bother living a moral life at all. You actually didn't have to bother worrying about any of these things because your spirit was intact. And see, here's the thing. Here's the heresy that was happening at the church in Pergurnum. This meant for them that they could go, if they thought in this way, well, I worship in my heart Jesus Christ, the one true God. I worship Jesus our Lord and Saviour, God Almighty. And, but I can then go and, you know, participate in the temple worships around. I could go to the temple of Zeus. I can go and give my daily offering at the temple of the emperor and I won't be persecuted by the Romans. It'll be just nice and easy. And if I get caught up in all of the things that happen at temple worship, um, you know, drunkenness and orgies and all those kind of things that were, were said to have been happening in those places, then it wouldn't affect my spirit, my, my, my soul that's inside me because the outside doesn't affect spirit. And this is the heresy that we have here. See, it meant that what was happening is that you could have your Christian belief, but we could just continue to practice or practice pagan worship. And they don't mix. They were compromising their faith in Christ with all of the worldly desires around them. And the complaint against the church at Pergurnum is that, that they thought they could do whatever they liked. They could live immorally and this wouldn't affect their relationship with God. And Jesus is a sharp two-edged sword that cuts us and opens us up and shows us what's inside of us and what's outside of us. That word talks to us. It opens us up physically and spiritually and corrects us and redeems us. So there was a compromise of behaviour, a compromise of belief um, that was at the heart of the complaint against the church at Pergunum. So let's just jump into the last part of uh, Revelation that we're looking at. So uh, Revelation verse 17. And then it goes on to say this, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the church. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven and I will give each one a white stone, and on that stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Each of the, each of the passages, each of the sections of messages to the church says, those who have ears, listen to this message. Those who are willing to understand that in love and truth, we can correct and change what God is seeing wrong with us. It actually is really, it takes a bold step to 
be told that there's something wrong with us as a church, as an individual, you know, as a country, whatever it is, when we are told that there is something wrong, we want to fight against it. We want to justify our own our reasons why we're there. We want to say that we're doing this for the benefit of, of whoever or whatever. But this is the call to us today, that we must listen to this message for the church today. The pressure for moral compromise is as great today as it was back in the time when this prophecy was written, when this message was written to the church in Bergenum. We are bombarded with messages, message after message, that tells us, take up the secular lifestyle around us. Let go of worship of God. Let go of that Christian lifestyle. It's okay. Nothing will happen to you. Let go of this. It's asking us to compromise ourselves compromise, do whatever you like in today's society. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody, you know, it's not really hurting much, do what you feel like. That's the compromise. That's the message that's coming to us. The pressure that we feel today is probably not quite so much as compromise, but as conform. I want to say this openly and as loudly as I can. The message for us today in our society is to conform, and if you don't conform, you are cancelled. But God calls us to be separate. God calls us to live a life that is radically different. Radical discipleship is about following Jesus Christ with all of yourself, not conforming to the patterns of the world, but to live a life that is separate and different. The message that was given to the church at Pergurnum is the same message that is given to us today. Here, right now, in New Beginnings, in the Uniting Church, um, it is to repent, to change, to turn around towards God. That, this takes courage. This takes immense courage to say, I've done something wrong, and turn towards God. This takes listening to God to know that we may have compromised ourselves, compromised our beliefs, taken that little slippery slope into secularism within our church. As a church, we need to come to pray, to ask God what it actually really means, that what are we compromising? This is a call for prayer. This is a call for change. This is a call that we need to listen to that that word of God upon our lives found in the Bible and how we're meant to live that out. So the thing is, when we know that we are loved by God, when we know that we are loved by God, we can actually hear the truth of what God is saying into our lives and change. It allows us to be set free to become a fully devoted disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are, Lord, we are called to live by faith, faith in Jesus Christ, Faith in our Lord and Saviour, which is Christ. Faith in God alone and not compromise our faith. We need to know that we are secure in the love of God, the love of God's embrace. So let me just end with this. Two verses from Hebrew 13, verse 5 and 6. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence... The Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me?
Amen.